Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Come on, let's give the Lord a hand praise and just bless his name. Come on, you can do better than that. He's been good to us. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord indeed. What a powerful time we're having in the Lord. And it's so good to see all of you. Come on, smile at somebody next to you and tell them I'm so happy to see you. I don't know what to do with myself. Go ahead and tell them that. I'm happy to see you. I don't know what to do. It is good to see you. Welcome, 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 welcome. On behalf of our beloved pastor, Pastor Lance Hahn, and all of our church family, we're delighted to have you all here. Pastor Lance has been ministering this weekend with our high school ministry, and uh, it's just been exciting to see what God is doing in our lives. So you all are left with me this morning. Are you all right with that? Praise the Lord. And uh, we're going to jump right into it and see what the Lord has for us. So I want to remind you that uh, we have uh, the Yaka Africa display that is set up outside in the foyer and invite you to go out and check that out. We were so blessed on last week to have Pastor Steve Trent, who's with us this morning. Aren't we so glad he blessed us last weekend, did he not? All the way from central Uganda. So we're thankful for him and thankful for the work that the Lord is doing in his life and through his life to even be a blessing to us here at the Bridgeway family. So let's pray and get right into it. Father, we thank you. We honor you. What a tremendous day you have given us. This indeed is the day that you have made. And we choose, despite any circumstances or situations, to rejoice and be glad. We give you praise. Now, will you give us clarity of thought? continuity of thinking, accuracy of the text. Help your servant to share in such a way that even a child would be able to understand and embrace the powerful truth of Scripture. We'll give you all the honor, all the praise, and we will extol you always and at all times. This we do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles with me, if you will, please, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We are in a series, in fact, we're in part 8 of our series, Called by God, Called by God. I want to talk to you uh, briefly through the Word of God about lead up, lead up, ministry of excellence. How do we flow and move as individuals and corporately as a body into excellence of ministry? Uh, specifically, we're using as a backdrop the qualifications given to us through the scripture of the deacon, the office of the deacon. We'll talk a little bit about that. that we'll find that what the scriptures declare that deacons are is a little different than the contemporary expression of what we see deacons doing today. Some way, somehow, the deacons move from being a serving body to being a board. And you know what happens when you get a board. It can get a real messy. <laughs> so this, this is the context here that there's a deacon's board in the contemporary sense. But in the scriptural sense, we're going to find out that it really is an office, a calling, a ministry that God gives. But with that, we will also note that all that is shared here is applicable. Watch me now. It is applicable to all of our lives. For all of us have been called to be ministers or servants of God. Every one of us that confess and profess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, you are servants, and I might add, servant leaders. 
You are people that influence somewhere. Either you influence in your home, your community, your workplace, the schoolroom, the church. You are leaders, all of you. God has empowered you by his Holy Spirit to serve and to be ministers of the kingdom of God, expressing his will and his purposes upon the earth. This shall be brought out to us as we look through the text today. Our fill-in, if you have your bulletins, is as follows. You can fill this in. Leadership is a privilege, not a right. Leadership is a privilege, not a right. There's a lot in that statement. I stand before you this day, thankful, but yet amazed that God would use such a person as myself to serve as a leader, a servant leader, to minister, to share the word of the Lord. You've heard my testimony. I came from a home in which my parents divorced when I was approximately eight years old. My mother raised four boys by herself on a low income of just SSI, Social Security, and disability. She was retired military, as was my father. And uh, we were blessed to live in a home that she made sure that we had food every day, we had clothing every day. I was one who stuttered until I was 17 years old. I literally would go into the classroom and it would take me four minutes sometimes three to four minutes just to say my name. There was great anxiety and great fear and intimidation when I walk in the classroom. I can show you report cards that I have that go all the way back to kindergarten where people say, you know, Parnell, is, he's, a, he's a nice young man, he's a nice little boy, but he, he just will not open his mouth. He just will not speak. He will not look you in the eye. It was not until the age of 17 having an encounter with the Spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit, empowering my life, that he loosed my tongue, gave me a boldness and a confidence to speak and to declare the word of the Lord. And here I stand before you. Now, five degrees later, <laughs> working on a sixth one, after being told I was an underachiever, getting D's and F through middle school and all through the first part of high school, I just like to think that God is working in my life so that he can just make the devil a liar. Come on, y'all. I just I like to believe that. That that's God's way of saying that I can do everything and anything, even though it seems impossible with humankind, nothing is impossible for God. I believe that with all of my heart. And that really serves then as the backdrop as we look at this powerful text that continues where our beloved pastor left off of, uh, the week before last. And notice here it begins in verse 8. Here begins the reading of the word of the Lord. Deacons, likewise. Everyone say likewise. likewise. Yeah, that's an important word there. That's an important word because it suggests that there is some information that has been provided to us earlier within the text that is not merely addressing those in whom, in, that, in this particular case, the, the office of the bishop or the office of the overseer, but it is also those qualifications or those attributes or characteristics are also applicable to the person that he's addressing here. 
So he doesn't start with a new list. He doesn't leave off with the group of attributes and the characteristics that were presented earlier and says, now let's go to the deacon. No, he carries it on. And he carries it on with this word, likewise, they must be dignified. Careful with that word there. It speaks of dignity. It's not a word that speaks of being obnoxious or looking down upon others or thinking that you're better than someone else. You know, dignified does not mean that. It means that you are one, in this case the deacon, who, watch this, has respect for others. You give dignity to others that are around you. You're dignified. Everyone is respected. So the context here is that the deacon likewise must be dignified or show respect, not double-tongued, not saying, watch this, one thing, but doing something else. It's a, it's a form of cognitive dissonance. It's the sense of, I, I say this, but my actions present this. They present something that is contrary to what is coming out of your mouth. They must not be double-tongued, not addicted to much wine. Church background I came from would read it like this, not addicted to any wine. You understand? That's how they used to say it. But here it says, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. But listen to these words in the next verse. They must hold the mystery of the faith, Paul says, with a clear conscience. They must hold, possess, the mystery, the, the word mysterion in the Greek. They must hold the mystery of the faith, not cloudy, not muddled, not mixed with other ideologies, but with a clear conscience. In other words, when they state or present this mystery of the faith, they do so with confidence and boldness. They do so with full commitment towards it. What is the mystery of the faith? The one who writes this statement to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is actually Paul. And Paul is the one whom God would use tremendously to present to the church, to the body of Christ, that which needed to be fulfilled, which had been hidden. It wasn't a secret. It had just been hidden. It had not been revealed yet. God would use the Apostle Paul to reveal the mystery of the faith. And it, in its simplicity, was this. That everybody, not just the Jew, but everybody is loved and received by the living God. All people, regardless of who they are. Not just the Jew, but the Gentile. That was the mystery of the faith. When I was a child, we used to sing a song, Yes! He included me. When God said, whosoever, let him come, he included me. Is there anybody glad that God included you when he said, come to me, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what gives me joy. That's what helps this young man that's standing. And notice I said young man that's standing here before you. Gives me a sense of purpose when I awaken in the morning. I'm not burdened down with despair and burdened down with the thoughts that once captivated my soul that led me to believe that I was unimportant and that I was 
not uh, able to contribute anything to life and that I wasn't this or wasn't that. I Now, because I'm accepted by the beloved into the kingdom of God, I do as I did this morning. I look in the mirror with a big smile on my face and say, boy, you're looking good today. Go on with your bad self. Because I am fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of a living God. I love everything about me. That helps me to love you. Are you hearing me? I love even my imperfections. That helps me to love you in your imperfections. Because he receives me even in my own fear. My own frustrations at times. I'm accepted among the beloved. Come on, give somebody a high five and say you're accepted in the beloved. Come on, tell them you're accepted in the beloved. You are accepted in the beloved. So he says here that the deacons, the deacons must hold the mystery of the faith that we are all accepted within the beloved with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Let the deacons before they are appointed before they are sent out and released among the people, let them be tested. How? He's not talking about by a written test. He's not talking about, uh, you know, objective questioning and so forth. He is speaking about let them be tested by observation. How they carry themselves among the people. Watch them. Do not be quick to just appoint them. But watch how they live their lives. Watch how they treat people. If we're to draw this and, and bring this into the thought that it's not merely the qualifications for the deacon, but rather it's for all of us that would be servants of God and leaders of God, then we must also understand we also must be tested. We also must live lives that are observable. That those who watch us can say there are attributes, there are, there are characteristics within this woman, there are attributes and characteristics within this man that we want them to be amongst us and they are qualified. They, they meet the attributes that are necessary to carry a servant's heart. <laughs> I said this on last night and it is true. If we're to apply this scripture to every aspect of serving, within this body, within this local assembly, it would suggest that even those who would be greeters must be tested, observed. You don't want someone to be a greeter here at Bridgeway and they're mean. It would be something terrible to have somebody frowning at you when you come through these doors and just throwing a bulletin at you. Come on, someone. They, you, you want to make sure they are observed as being people that love people. They embrace people. In fact, I will even go as far as to say that it's important that a greeter is not afraid to touch people. Because there may be someone here that needs to be embraced, to be hugged. I know some of you feel uncomfortable about being hugged. But do you realize that there are people that go through an entire week and they're never touched? No one ever touches them. That's why I'm a hugger. I know it throws some of you all. When I go like this, you go like this. <laughs> but I hug you anyway. Because people need to be touched and to be embraced. It's a part of what we must observe. 
We must observe that with folks. Even people who work with our children's ministry. You don't want someone to serve in the children's ministry. And they write down on the application, I believe children are to be seen and not heard. That's a cue to you right there. They're in the wrong ministry. Do not put them. Don't even, listen, protect the children. (laughs) Protect the babies. Don't turn them loose among the babies. The idea here is that he says the deacon, likewise, not only must be dignified, but also must, and one who uh, is not greedy for dishonest gain or addicted to much wine, but carrying also the mystery of the faith, but they must also be tested by an observable life. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Then turn them loose to serve the people. If they have shown themselves to have grown or are growing in their walk with God, that they're full of radical compassion, radical care and love for the people. That's the idea there. But notice what he says in the next verse, in verse 11. Their wives, likewise. Do you notice the progression? He keeps saying likewise, likewise. Again, not a new list. Everything that was an attribute attribute that proceeded is applicable also to the spouse. The spouse carries this, and it's a continuation. It's a continuation. The wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. Let deacons also be the husband of one wife. Wife, let me tell you what it's saying and let me tell you what it is not saying. What he is saying, he's addressing the uh, idea or the concept of polygamy that was prevalent among many of the cultures and the people during the time. It is not, as I've heard some folks preach erroneously, a reference to a person who has been divorced. It is not a reference to that. There are some that will say that if you are divorced, you cannot serve in ministry. You cannot do anything in ministry, period. That is a lie from the pit of hell. I don't know about you, but I am glad the God who redeems me restores me. Don't let anyone tell you because you have gone through the tragedy and the pain of divorce where your family has been broken, that you can never do anything in ministry. I submit to you, as God heals you, as God restores you, I believe God will place you and release you forward to do the things you're called to do. And I'm going to go a step further, because there's someone in this room that's right now, the adversary has beat you up, and even some church folks have beat you up. Because of the pain that you have been through. But the word of the Lord is he will restore what the enemy has stolen from you. God will heal your heart. And to be quite frank with you, many of us that have gone through such tragedy and such pain, we're the ones who can speak healing to those that are struggling. We're the ones who can speak to the single parent and let them know that God will make a way somehow. That's the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of God. I don't know about you, but God is not blocking people 
from coming towards Him and coming into fellowship with Him and with one another. God wants to heal us and release us to Him and release us to one another. Say amen, somebody. I believe that with all of my heart. So, and he says here, let deacons each be the husband of one wife. To be quite honest, because again, he's addressing polygamy here. I don't know why you'd want to have two. But anyway, let's keep moving here. (laughs) Managing their children and their own households well. The idea here is being a good steward. Being a steward of your family. Being a steward of your children. It is not saying, please hear me, it is not saying that your marriage or your children are unchallenged, that everything's perfect, that you got everything together. That is not what the scripture is saying. It's saying that in the midst of the difficulties and the challenges that you face, either in your marriage or with your children, you manage it well. You manage it well. How do you manage it? How are you a good steward? By calling upon the Lord to be your strength and to be your help. My wife and I have been married for 23 years. We have a 19-year-old and a 16-year-old. And sometimes the 19-year-old wants to do his thing. The 16-year-old wants to do her thing. Even the 11-year-old chihuahua wants to do his thing. You understand what I'm saying? But the ability to manage it well. To be able to say, for me, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. My confidence is not in what I can do. My confidence is calling upon the Holy Spirit who equips me and helps me to do all things. So the deacon here is one who manages, again, their home well. But notice in the next verse, in verse 13, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves... That's reputation. That's how they're seen in the church and seen in the community and seen amongst the people. Not only do they gain good standing for themselves, but notice something in addition to that. And also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. There's not only a reputation that is gained, but there's something that God does Through the impartation of the Holy Spirit, He gives this individual confidence and boldness. There are times that we think of the deacon as being merely one who is meek and mild and tender and sweet and kind. There are times we think of people with servants' hearts as being meek and mild and tender and kind. But I suggest to you, That those who are equipped to be leaders within the kingdom of God, they are not merely weak vessels. Meekness is not weakness. True servants of God, though they may express themselves to one another and towards others with this gentleness and kindness, even as we pray for people and we love on people and we hold people and we cry with people, there is an indignation that rises within us against the works of darkness. There's a boldness that comes upon us that says the enemy cannot take this soul, take this mind, Take this heart. There was a young man that was here on last evening. 
And the entire service, I was sitting there watching him and just looking him right in the eye as I was preaching the word of God. And there was a word of the Lord that came to him that he would live and not die. And everything that the adversary was attempting to do to bring discouragement to him and fear. God wanted to strip those things away from him. And he was sitting here. And there was a time we called the people forward, as we'll do in a few moments. And we began to pray. And what was so powerful is that although there was a gentleness and a tenderness of those of us that were standing around him and we were praying and speaking over him and we were coming against the spirit of death that was trying to encroach his heart. There was an indignation, a boldness that rose up in this place. The more I prayed, the more the people prayed, we made up our mind, this man will live. This man will be the man that God has called him to be. We were tender with him, but we were mad at the devil. Come on, y'all. That's the boldness that God gives you. Some of you all need to get mad at the devil and stop being just tender and sweet. Don't let the enemy just take your house. After you come off of your knees and you say, Lord, be with my husband, be with my wife, be with my children, and you grab the tissue and you blow your nose, you need to get up and walk through the house and say, now I claim this house for the name of Jesus. This house will be the house of God. Anything that is negative, anything that is ungodly has got to go. Depression cannot reign in this house. Fear cannot rule in this house. You got to be bold about it. I can't go to your house and say it. You got to say it. You've got to be the one that stands and takes the authority that God has given you. Because it's part of your servanthood. Look with me quickly, if you will, please at Acts 6, and we'll talk a little bit more about the deacon and how it came about as a ministry within the local church. It's interesting. I know that I'm supposed to be teaching this teaching today. I know it with all of my heart. You know, there's just some things that you kind of guess at, and there's other times when you just know that you know that you know that you know that God says, I have this for you to teach this day. And that's the moment I'm living in right now. First of all, I had no clue when they scheduled me to bring the word today or this weekend that they were going to be talking about the Stephen ministry this weekend. Stephen was one of the deacons. He's a servant of God. I didn't know that that was going to be presented this weekend and you would be given an opportunity to step out of here and sign up for the Stephen ministry and find out more information about that. I had no clue. The other thing is, is that uh, day before yesterday... I had just gotten back from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I've been in Tulsa all week uh, attending a conference and speaking at a conference with Chief Daniel Hahn, the former chief of police of Roseville, who is now the chief of police of Sacramento. He and I co-facilitated and spoke at a conference for the Oklahoma State Mental Health Association, their annual conference, their 28th annual conference there at the convention center in Oklahoma. And so he and I traveled together and we got there. And after we finished speaking, I had walked through the exhibit hall. And as I typically do, I will go to the exhibit hall and walk past the tables and so forth and look at the different organizations that are represented. And they most times will hand me a card, a business card. And most times I will receive the business card. And most times I will take the business card home with me. And most times I will throw away the business card. I don't even look. 
at the business card. If I kept every business card that was given to me, I would have paper all over the place. Well, the reality is, is that there was one lady that I stopped at her table and I began to share with her uh, uh, that the fact that my, my wife and I are caring for my wife's elderly parents. We don't refer to them, I don't refer to them as my father and mother-in-law. I call them my father and mother-in-love. And they're staying with us and we're caring for them in their elder years and they've been dealing with some health challenges so they live with us now. And we're grateful to be able to provide that to them. But it's a challenge at times emotionally and physically caring for them and, and doing the things we need to do. So the lady who was sitting across the table, I was sharing this with her and she says, Sir, if there's anything Parnell, I could ever do to speak with you or your wife about how to care for them or give emotional support to you, please... Don't hesitate to call me. And she handed me her business card. Well, I never looked at the business card. I put the business card in my pocket. And then when I got home, I set the business card on the desk. It probably was on its way to the trash can. However, as I reached for my keys to come here to minister the word on last night, the card fell to the floor and I picked the card up and read the card. And when I looked at the card, why did the card say that the name of her organization is called diakonos, which is the Greek word for deacon? Diakonos. Oh, y'all, come on. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to know God is up to something. You see? And so I'm looking at the card and it says diakonos. And then I go to this text here in Acts 6 and we get some background about the diakonos. He says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, in other words, the church was growing. This uh, infant or toddler church, some may argue, was growing and multiplying. A complaint by the Hellenists. Jews rose against the Hebrew Jews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, this being the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples, all of the people, all of the disciples, and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. In other words, not that we can't serve tables, not that we cannot do things that are uh, uh, laborious as far as caring for people and serving people. But it is not right for us, watch this, to neglect studying the Word of God and praying. In other words, we need some help. It is not right for us to neglect being the, the, the ears and the eyes of the body. We need some hands and feet that will help us so that we can give ourselves to prayer and the Word. You, are you catching that? So that we can give ourselves to prayer and the Word. That, that's why here uh, we have to be careful, beloved, to guard our pastors and guard them so that they can stay in the Word of God and stay prayerful, not trying to do everything else. Especially when we are all here. We don't get a pass. It doesn't all fall on the shoulder of the pastors. All of us have a responsibility within the kingdom of God. Y'all, that's a weak amen, but we're going to go right there one more time. All of us have a responsibility in the kingdom of God. Amen. Every one of us. 
And so it's important that the pastors uh, have an opportunity to stay in the Word. There, there are times when, although my office is right next door to Pastor Lance, there are times I just won't go in his office for everything or anything. There's some things I can take care of myself. I want him to stay in the Word. I want him to stay prayerful because I, when he steps on this stage, when Pastor Brian steps on this stage, when I step on this stage, I don't want something that's made up. I don't want something that they just throw out there. Well, let's just kind of thumb through some pages and throw something out there and see how it lands. I want a prophetic word of God that speaks into my heart so that when I walk out of this place, I won't leave the same way I come in. I want to leave here changed. Anybody want to leave here transformed, changed, encouraged, ready to go further in the things of the Lord? So he says here, it's not good that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, good report, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will divide ourselves uh, our, our, devote rather ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nisenor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles. And they prayed and laid hands on them. And look what happens. Notice the corresponding result. The word of God continued to increase. In other words, it didn't stop. It didn't get blocked. The word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Notice here that this church, this infant church, is moving forward. And they're growing the power of the Holy Spirit is upon them. The ministry of God is upon them. There's been miracles. There's been signs and wonders. People are getting saved. And yet in the midst of this, the backdrop is that there's an attempt of the adversary to bring disunity among the people. And he starts here with the Hellenist Jews versus the Hebrew Jews. And the, the context here is that the Hellenists, now they were not called Hellenists because they raised hell. That is not why they were called the Hellenists. <laughs> Okay. They were called the Hellenists because they themselves embraced the Greek culture. They spoke Greek. They, they read the Old Testament or the Old Covenant in Greek. Whereas the Hebrews, the Hebrew Jews, they spoke Aramaic. And they held closely because they stayed close to Judea. And they were there in Jerusalem. They didn't particularly like the Hellenistic Jews. So some way, somehow, there became a, a divisiveness that arose among the people and it was observable through the daily distribution to the widows. Because the idea was that the widows were dependent upon the community of the believers to care for them. The church cared for those who were the widows. So the daily distribution, maybe it was food, possibly clothing, could have been financial resources. Something happened within the exchange of services that suggested that there was favoritism that was given to the Hebrew Jews versus the Hellenistic Jews. And the Hellenistic Jews did not keep their mouth shut. They opened their mouths. 
But the thing that blesses me is that when they opened their mouths, the leadership was anointed to hear them. The apostles didn't just step back and say, well, you know, these things will work themselves out. But rather, this is a church that makes up its mind, we're going to face things head on. We're not going to circle around things. We're not just going to kind of keep it hush-hush and hope everything works out for the better. No, let's face this thing. Let's face the injustice. Let's face the inequity. Let's face the, 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 the implicit bias that is taking place, the subconscious biasness that takes place. It's not that people probably meant to do it. There were some people that probably in their mind they would say, well, no, I love all people. I don't have a problem with the Hellenistic. Some of my best friends are Hellenistic Jews. <laughs> but there was an implicit bias that something subconsciously was within the hearts of those who were caring for the widows and it played itself out as being injustice or inequity. It was Dr. Martin Luther King who said it best as I state it to you. He says these words. He says, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Where there is silence, where we do not speak up, we see it, but we don't say anything. We see it, but we don't address it. We hear it, but we don't address it. It opens us up for the attack of the wicked one. Such is the case here. The church says we've got to address it. And I love the fact that they called for men who were filled with the Holy Spirit. They called for people who had the Holy Spirit. Because folks, hear me and hear me well. There's a whole lot of stuff that's going on. There's a whole lot of things in our nation, and our community, and even possibly within our church that would seek to bring disunity amongst us. And we cannot handle it in our own strength, in our own wisdom. As much education as you have, it won't take care of it. As much as you think you know about people and your experience in life, it will not take care of it. The only thing that will help us be the people, the men, the women of God that He has called us to be, to be the church that God has called us to be, to be the blessed, beloved community of faith that God has called us to be is the ministry of the Holy Spirit operating within each and every one of us. That's the only thing. If the Holy Spirit does not have free course and free reign in this house, we're subject to our own whims. We are subject to our own institutionalized constructs that lead us nowhere. I don't know about you, but I want God's Spirit to prevail in my life. How about you? I want God's Spirit to prevail in my life so that we can stand against anything that brings about injustice or inequity here, this community, or even in the earth. That's the true servant's heart. Let me close and give you these thoughts that may help us to understand the attributes of being a healthy servant leader. You might want to jot some of these things down because, yes, they are applicable to you. They're not just applicable to the deacon. They're not just applicable to the overseer or the bishop. They're not just applicable to the pastor. They're not just applicable to the elders. It's not just applicable to key leadership within this church. Every one of us, these attributes are important. Number one, we must communicate with wholesome words and deeds. Healthy leaders, healthy servant leaders communicate with wholesome words. 
and deeds. I think I told you about several years ago, walking inside Walmart, going down the aisle, and as I'm going down one aisle, I hear this person on the other aisle, and they're cussing up a storm. I mean, they could be heard throughout the whole aisle. I'm going to kick your blink. Beep! I'm going to do this. I hate your beep. Beep! They were, I mean, they were just going to town. They were just cussing up a storm. I, and I'm nosy. I have ears like Spock. So what I lost in eyes, I gained in ears. You understand what I'm saying? So I'm wanting to know what's going on over there. And so me, with my nosy self, I go over into the next aisle to see who this is who's cussing and going off. And the person's eye looks at me. They made eye contact with me, and I made eye contact with them. And they look at me, and they say, Bishop, oh, praise the Lord. It's so good to see you. I'm not making it up. They were going off. And it changed when they saw me communicate with wholesome words and deeds. An attribute of a healthy servant leader is one who, has, uh, who possesses what we call critical thinking. The ability to process problems to solutions. To think. You don't hear a lot about this now. There was a school recently within our community, Capital Christian School, that was honored, a handful of schools that was honored throughout the nation, their middle school, because of uh, instructing through the process of critical thinking. They don't teach that anymore in school like they used to. This school was awarded for that. There's something to be said about critical thinking. Are you able to move from problem to solution? Are you able to process? Are you able to team up with others and think things through? There are some people, it has been said, they sit around and say, what happened? Then there are others who are looking around saying, what's happening? But there are those who are true leaders who say, how can we make it happen? What can happen? What can we do? That's healthy, critical thinking. Number three, guard your public testimony. Guard your private testimony, and in guarding your private testimony, it will guard your public testimony. There's just certain things I don't do. There's just certain things I won't do. I could do, and there's even things that are not necessarily a sin. But I won't do it because I don't want to be a stumbling block to someone else. Are you following what I'm saying? You may say, there's nothing wrong with that. True. But I won't do it because I don't want to be a stumbling block. I want to be a blessing to people. I want to be a servant to people. So those things I guard in my testimony. Uh, a, a few uh, weeks ago, uh, someone here invited me to go to lunch with them. It was a young man that wanted to know more about the Lord and grow in his walk with the Lord. And I'm not able to do that as frequently as I'd like to, but I just felt that I needed to go with him to lunch and just encouraging him. And we were sitting at a restaurant right across the street from the Galleria, and it was a moving moment. I mean, tears were coming down his face, and I just felt the presence of God upon me just to encourage him. I mean, there were some things happening, folks. We were just ready to sing just as I am. I mean, it was right there. You understand? We were right there. And just as I was getting ready ready to pray with him just as we're getting ready to lead him and talk to him about receiving the lord and so forth the waitress walks over to the table and she has on her tray a shot glass full of whiskey and she takes the shot glass and she places it on the table in front of me and says there's a woman at the bar that says she's from bridgeway and she just wanted to say that she really likes you and she wanted you to have a, wanted you to have a drink on her no i'm not, i'm telling you the truth and they put it there 
And I, you know me, I'm just sitting there mortified. I mean, literally, I could have gone up under the carpet, into the cement, down into the dirt. You understand what I'm saying? I might have hit the water table. You understand what I'm saying? I was just mortified. I couldn't believe it. I'm about to lead this man to the Lord. He's ready to receive the Lord. And here I'm sitting here with a shot glass in front of me from a woman I don't even know sitting at the bar. Sitting at the bar. So I tell the person, I tell the waitress, no, can you take it back? I can't, I, I don't indulge. I don't even know what the word indulge means. I don't indulge. I mean, I'm just mortified. I don't indulge. Maybe she can exchange it for Shirley Temple or for, you know, a virgin pina colada or something like that. So the lady takes it back and then she comes back. She says, the lady wants to know, are you sure? And I say, I'm truly sure. <laughs> I am sure. And then I was so messed up in my thinking. Because I'm thinking about my testimony, folks. I get up, I tell the man that I'm talking to, excuse me, I need to go to the restroom, throw some cold water on my face. Literally. I get up from the table and I'm walking across to the restroom. I look clear across the other side of the restaurant and my eyes catches the eyes of a pastor in Folsom that knows how I think. And when my eyes catch his eyes, he looks at me, falls out into the seat, busting up laughing. That clown, excuse me, that pastor had set me up. That, that pastor had set me up. I'm serious about my testimony, y'all. I'm going to tell you something about this. When you are a leader, you may not have it all together, because I sure don't. There's some areas you miss and I miss. But one thing about it, I'm going to do my very best to make sure that Jesus is glorified in my life. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I want to make sure that he's glorified in my life. Let's finish this up. So again, guard your public testimony. Uh, the next one, we are governed by a characteristic of generosity versus greed. Healthy leaders constantly want to give. Constantly want to pour out. We constantly want to give to others. And number five, we value all people. Healthy leaders, healthy servant leaders value all people. Everybody. Now, I'm going to say something to you. This is going to shake some of you up because it shook us up a little bit on last evening. It's going to shake some of you up. We value all people, not merely post-Jesus. We value people even when they're broken when they're hurting, before they are transformed, before they look like we'd like to see them grow into, we value them. Everybody is important to God and everyone is important to us. When you value, first of all, when you value yourself, when you have dignity and respect for yourself, it will cause you to have dignity and respect for others. You value them not after they change. You value them even before they change. Come on, say amen, somebody. Come on, tap somebody. Put, lift, tap somebody on the shoulder and say, be patient with me. God's not finished with me. Come on, tell them. Be patient with me. God's not finished with me. I close with this thought and this belief. When I die, they just may have a funeral for me. They just may. I'm concerned about what will be said at that service. I pray that I'm not remembered for my car, my house, degrees, clothes, 
status in the community, I pray that people say, I remember Parnell Lovelace for his radical love for others. I just cannot hate. It's not in me to hate. Because God has done such a work and is doing such a work in my life. I can't hate anybody. I want to be known as a servant. I want to be known and want it to be said that my living is not in vain. Because every day I wake up, I want you to be able to say it, that you wake up to serve somebody. If I can help somebody. If I can serve somebody, just like Pastor Steve shared with us last week, if I can help lift somebody up every day, not just one hour after you leave church today, but in the middle of the week, you live a life. God, how do you want to use me this day? That's God's heart for us. In just a moment, I want to pray for those of you that say, Pastor, I want a radical blessing on my life so that I can be released into a radical servant leader's heart. Maybe that's you. I don't care who you are all over this room. I want you, when I call for you to stand, I want you to jump to your feet and crowd around this altar and let me just speak a special blessing over you and let you just go forward in everything. Maybe some of you have been beat up by the adversary telling you God doesn't want to use you. Others of you, he's using you, but you just say, I want some added blessing on top of that. Let's see what God wants to do. Stand all over the room. If you want me to pray with you, come all up here to the altar. Come on up. Out of your seat. Don't hesitate. Move quickly. Move quickly, quickly, quickly. Come close. Come close. And let's pray and believe God right now for a special touch, a special anointing, a special blessing of God's favor upon our life. God wants to do something special for each and every one of us. You've got a call on you. You're a servant. You're a servant of the living God. God wants to use you. I surrender all. Come on, children. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Come on, say it one more time. I surrender all. Give it to him. I surrender. Somebody else, come on, don't hesitate. There's still room. Come on. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender to worship you. I live to worship you. I live, I live to worship you. Let's slip our hands up right there. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. I live to worship you. From the depths of your heart, come on, declare it. To worship you, I live. 
to worship you. I live, I live to worship you. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. Worship you, I live. I live to worship you. Father, in the most magnificent and exalted name of Jesus, see my heart, O God. See our heart, O God. We want to be men and women who boldly and with confidence hold the mystery of the faith that everyone is valuable and loved and received in the beloved by a mighty God. Will you touch us right now? Every place the enemy has brought fear, confusion, doubt, unbelief. Made us believe that we're not accepted. Made us believe that we're unqualified. Will you now, God, lift the shadow? exposed by the light of the Holy Spirit that God we are your people in the name of Jesus there's a man there's a woman there's a boy there's a girl that is awaiting God a touch of Jesus and we are the only Jesus that they may see in that school on that job in that neighborhood within our homes touch right now we command every force of darkness, everything that has tried to bring fear and intimidation upon God's people. We command you in the name of Jesus, lift your hand off of God's people. Get your hands off of God's property. In the name of Jesus, we speak life, we speak joy, we speak healing, we speak wholeness to minds and hearts and families in the name of Jesus. We say that this is the house of prayer for all people. And God is richly in this place. And everyone that comes upon this campus, they know that they have been in the presence of Almighty God. We love you. We bless you. We proclaim your name is worthy of all the praise and all the adoration. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Everybody shout amen. Clap your hands and give God the best praise. Come on, don't play with it. Don't play with it. Give God the best praise. Hallelujah. Now listen, you that are staring around this altar, I want you without hesitation, before you go back and head out these doors, hug somebody around you. Y'all, hug somebody around you. Get out of here and go reach somebody for Jesus. We love you. Be blessed.